We're in a series called Our Words Matter, and what we've been talking about is that we've been given this amazing power that's been given to everybody, and it can be used just like uh, if, you, if, you're a, if you follow kind of uh, the Avengers or you follow uh, superheroes, it can be used for great good uh, or it can be used for great harm. And what we've been kind of discussing, and we have one more week to go next week, is uh, the fact that our words can bring devastation to somebody's life. Our words can, can, can cut. I mean, I, in, a, in a group this size, I can guarantee you there are people here who can remember things that were said to them at five and six and seven years old. That identity that's been placed upon them, that, uh, that, that just that, that cutting, that, that idea that you're not good enough or you're lazy, that you, you, can't, you can't make it. You'll never be as good as your brother, your sister, you... Uh, always, uh, you never, you, right? We also can remember a lot of things that were said to us that might have encouraged us. Some of us might be in the job we're in right now because somebody came alongside of us and spoke life into our lives. This morning, um, I just want to recap kind of what we've been talking about. And what we've been saying is it comes out of Luke, and uh, this kind of the main verse we've been talking about. It says, uh, The good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart, and the evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. And then here's the kind of the big thing here. For out of the overflow of his heart, the mouth speaks. And so we've been talking about different heart issues that show up in our mouth, right? We talked about um, uh, the gospel. When we share the gospel, the good news of Jesus dying on the cross for our sins, the Bible says it's the power of God unto salvation, that we have the very ability to walk around and share the power of God unto salvation for people. That comes out of our heart. We talked about things we can't stop talking about what we've seen or heard. Right? And so we talked about gossip, how destructive gossip can be. And so we, then we talked about, um, uh, Bob talked about boasting and how we, we kind of want to tell our own story. I and mean, he did that really great job last week. But the, the, the point, the kind of overarching point for this whole thing is this, that if you want to control your mouth, you have to control your heart. That we don't say things by accident. We don't just, it, when it comes out, what we say is, um, oh, I didn't mean to say that. What we really mean is, I didn't mean to feel that. I, I didn't mean to have my heart kind of show up in public like this. I, I didn't mean, I, I didn't think it was going to be uh, that big of a deal. So this morning, uh, we're going to talk about another issue, uh, one of the positives because uh, we've kind of been going positive, negative, positive, negative. We're going to talk about one of the positives. Uh, when I was in um, growing up, I would get in trouble with my teachers all the time. Uh, and it started the minute I learned to speak because I would joke around and I would try to make the class laugh all, all the time. And so kindergarten, first grade, second grade, third grade, fourth grade, same. I, I could tell you exactly what was coming on the, on the, on the uh, um, what do you call it? report card. It was going to be um, uh, yells out in class, 
uh, tries to be class clown, uh, thinks he's funny, um, can you move somewhere, um, you know, here's some money for private school, kind of get this, this whole thing. That, and, and every teacher, it was the same, and I, I had all female teachers, and, and so I don't think that made it any better because I just, I would, I would just, I, I would just joke. I would, you know, not, you can't tell now, but, uh, but I was always trying to say something funny, and to me, everything was funny. And so uh, one day in the third grade, Mrs. Carson uh, was in her classroom, and I came in um, telling a story about somebody and making all sorts of ruckus into the classroom. And she said, "Um, John, why don't you step outside and come in on the other foot? And so I walked outside, and in front of the door went, hmm, I came in on my left foot, so I think I'll come in on my right foot this time. And hey, everyone laughed. You know, I went to detention. <laughs> right? I mean, what a, what, a, what a kid. What a punk. I mean, the thing, what you want to do to a kid like that is put him down. You want to teach him a lesson. You want to smack him. You want to do kind of all this stuff. You want to make sure that he doesn't ever do that again because he's just, ugh. Then I went into the fifth grade. And in the fifth grade, I had a teacher named Mr. Blust, right? Which already you can just think of all the fun ways you can make fun of his name. Uh, I get Mr. Blust, and we, we, we go into class, and I just start the routine over. You know, it's like, hey, new, new year, new class, new material. I'd written all summer, but it's ready to, ready to get it going. And uh, I think it was day one when Mr. Blust got up out of his chair, and he walked over, and he said, I would like to talk to you outside. So I'm just like, I know the drill, okay? You're never going to stop me from doing this because I get so much grotesque pleasure out of it. He pulls me out into the um, hallway, and he said, "Um, there are three fifth-grade classes. None of the teachers wanted you, and they were going to draw straws to see which class you were going to be in. And he said, and I wouldn't do it because I want you in my class. I love the fact that you're funny. I love the fact. And he starts speaking into my life. And he came up with this plan. He'd probably been thinking about it all summer long. Like, how can I trick this kid into thinking that? <laughs> all right. But, but he, he, he starts talking about, look, let's, let's have a time in the class where we can tell jokes. You and I can tell jokes back and forth. And uh, I'll never forget, he, the first joke he ever told, uh, I'll, I'll tell it to you now, and you can take this home and use this in the, at the water cooler. It, you'll be loved and respected everywhere you go. Uh, there's this guy who always likes to tell puns, right? Everything he said was a pun. And his friends got so, so crazy with it, they locked him in a closet and they said, listen, we're not going to let you out until you promise never to tell puns again. No more puns. And, uh, and he's like, I won't do it. And so they kind of had this standoff that went on for hours and hours and hours. Finally, they, could, they couldn't hear anything in there. They're starting to get worried about him. And they're like, we don't want to do this to you, but you just have to promise you don't tell any more puns. And, and so he goes, okay, 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 I, I'll, I won't. Just open the door. Okay? That was in the fifth grade I learned that one. Right? It's a great one. Okay? This is the impact Mr. Blust had on my life. And we had an, a great 
year. I never got in trouble in Mr. Bluss class. But to have him daily, and he would, he would guide me and direct me and go, you know what, that was a little over the top, or hey, not now, we're going to do this later. Encouragement changed my life. I ended up moving from California, from New Jersey to California, and kind of just started a whole different path in my life, not getting in trouble anymore. Well, relatively, right? Here's the thing. All of us, within the sound of my voice, have the ability to change someone's life with words of encouragement. You, you have the ability, in your words, to be able to heal somebody's past, where they've been called something all their life, over and over and over again, until they meet you. And you start speaking into their life words of encouragement, words of healing. Let me, I want to show you something real quick. We all have these, um, these different conversations, okay, throughout the day. And we have, I, I, I put them in, in three circles. The outside circle is kind of just our day-to-day. This is when you go to Starbucks. It's when you go get gas. It's when you uh, see somebody in the store, in line, or whatever. Though you have those kind of conversations. They're usually about the weather. They're usually about something, whatever. Then you have your circle of influence. And these are people in your life, your family, your, um, uh, you know, your kids, the people in your class, people at work, people that you are kind of building relationships with. But there's another conversation that you're having all day long. And that's a conversation with yourself. Not that you're psychotic and mumbling to yourself as you walk down the street, but this is the thing. It's out of this conversation with yourself that all your other conversations kind of take shape. And we've we've seen this happen before in our lives where you're thinking to yourself, talking to yourself, well, I don't want to say that because if I say that, then this is going to happen, so I'm going to say this. And it's all how we kind of guide our speech. Day-to-day people on the outside are, are the people we influence on the inside there and then the conversation we're having with ourselves. And I want to show you kind of a, a number that I want you to fix in your mind because the Gottman Institute did a study on relationships and what it usually looks like in our relationships. There is a five-to-one ratio of words of criticism to words of encouragement. That's kind of just the average when you are involved in conversation. They did all these studies, and unfortunately, where it really shows up is in your marriage. For some reason, marriages, most marriages, have a five-to-one ratio of criticism to encouragement. It doesn't mean there's a lot of criticism. It's just all relative. If you, if you make six statements to your spouse, five are going to be negative of some sort. It doesn't have to be negative to her, just just critical statements to one encouragement. And the thing that, I, that was just so fascinating about this study was that just knowing that helped change some of these relationships. As these couples were just aware, because oftentimes we're not even aware how critical we are. But we're not even aware that this is a problem. And yet it's so funny to me because we all love to be encouraged. We love hearing someone say, hey, that's a really nice dress, or have you lost weight? Or, and again, this is, I'll say this once, and I won't say it throughout the rest of the sermon, but we're not to lie, okay? It's not about blowing smoke, okay? It's, not, it's, it's about finding things in people that are worth encouraging, and everybody has something in their life that's worth being encouraged about. 
But that's the, that's the thing. Five to one. Okay? Here's what it says in Proverbs chapter 11, verse 25. A generous man will prosper. Okay? What, what's happening here in Proverbs is that he's taking things that wouldn't norm, you wouldn't normally make sense and he's flipping them around. You think of a generous man as one giving away. He's not prospering. If he's too generous, he might lose everything. And, but Solomon is writing this. He's the wisest man in the world. He says, no, a generous man will prosper. When you give, you'll get. And then he says this. He who refreshes others will himself be refreshed. There's something about living a life that is cognizant of wanting to encourage, that enriches our lives at the same time. And throughout Scripture, the writers of Scripture are talking about, especially in the New Testament, talk about this idea of encouragement, encouragement to keep reminded. It's in uh, Thessalonians. It's in uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It's in, it's in Corinthians. All these ideas, it's in Ephesians. It says, don't let any unwholesome word proceed out of your mouth except that which is good for edification, for building up. In, 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 in Corinthians, it says to, um, 2 Corinthians, it says, in every, do everything you do, do it to edify, to build up. And yet it doesn't seem to come naturally for us, especially in America, where we get to comment on everything. You put a video up or a picture of your new dog, and I get to comment on it. And then if it's on YouTube, I get to cuss and comment at the same time, and anonymously. And I get to just critique. We love to critique. It's just in our nature. And because we're consumers and we consume a lot, we critique everything. Here's what Paul says. This is so cool. And he's talking to this Hebrew church. He says this, But encourage one another daily, as long as it's called today. (laughs) Do you know when it's called today? It's just Paul's fun way of going, hey, as long as you're breathing, encourage. But encourage one another daily, as long as it's called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. All through Scripture, it talks about encouragement, encouragement, encouragement. Now, what's going to happen in this sermon is I'm not going to share anything really deep with you. I'm not going to give you any insight into the Scriptures that you're like, wow. I never would have seen that before. Because understanding this concept is not difficult. It's easy. Anyone can understand it. Doing it, being reminded of it, and all of a sudden going, you know what? I'm going to switch that ratio. I'm going to go five to one encouragement to criticism. is hard. And the reason it's hard is because of that center circle, the conversation we're having with ourself. Because there's so much insecurity and there's so much fear wrapped up that's in our heart, it's difficult to encourage. I'll tell you how it, how it looks. Uh, you're a manager of an employee and you're trying to make budget. And that employee's doing a really good job. And you think to yourself, man, if I tell him he's doing a good job, he's going to ask for a raise. He's going to expect more money. And so it's easier for a manager to kind of keep that at bay. And some of you work for these managers. And so they begin to kind of criticize. They begin to find fault in little things just so you can keep your place. But we all know you'd be a better worker if you were encouraged. It shows up on the soccer field. We had a um, 
game yesterday, I was coaching soccer, and we lost 7-0. Lost 7-0. We had the zero. They had the seven. Okay? And it was just like, it was just like goal after goal after goal. I'm having a conversation with myself. And it's that self-conversation that thinks, on Monday, I'm going to take those little boys and I'm going to teach them such a lesson that this will never, ever happen again. On the outside, what was coming out? Keep going. Go get them. Nice way to watch that ball. You're a good watcher. Great, keep it going. But the conversation inside is just like, ugh. And you hear parents do this with their kids all the time. I don't want to encourage. I want to, if I can just kind of, because there's a conversation going on. It shows up when, if your kid doesn't clean their room, right? You start thinking to yourself, this is embarrassing. We're having company over. They're going to think I'm a bad parent and that my kid's a slob. And so what we say is, why don't you ever clean your room? How come, do you want to, are you going to keep your house like this when you get older? This is, I bought everything in this house. It's all mine. All, all you have to do is just clean it. But is that so hard, right? This is what comes out of our mouth. Why? Because of what's in our heart, the conversation we're having with ourselves. Or maybe it's just me. So how do we get around it? Um, Pastor Bob uh, last week was talking about this idea of boasting, right? That boasting is just wanting to tell our story. And that, in fact, in a community, like a church community, or like a healthy family or a healthy marriage, we're telling each other's story. And so there's not that sense of urgency, like if I don't build myself up, no one's going to build me up. This is the flip side of that. This particular idea of encouragement is, I'm going to build you up, and in the process, our church gets healthier, our family gets healthier, our relationship gets healthier, and then I get built up. Okay? Watch this. So cool. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being uh, united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion. In other words, if, if your relationship with Christ has given you anything, anything from Christ, then he says, then make my joy complete. Now, what do you think would make Paul's joy complete? He says, if there's any encouragement. Now, this word, it's a Greek word. It's paraklesis, okay? Now, the only reason I'm telling you this is because I looked it up, and that makes me feel smart if I say it. No, is that this word for encouragement is all through Scripture, all through the New Testament, This idea, and what it means, it means a coming alongside. It means a calling to one's aid. And so so when we speak words of encouragement, what we're doing is we're coming alongside that person. And we're saying, hey, lean on me. I see great things in you. You can do it. You got it. Don't worry about that. I'm here. Now imagine if your family did that. Everyone in your family. Imagine how healthy your family would be. Imagine fathers. If this is what came out of our mouths in dealing with our kids. Because fathers, quite honestly, it's easy to find fault. It's like part of our spiritual gift, I think. Of we just like look at our kids and we're like, ah. And, and, and what's happening 
is that we fear, we're having this conversation with ourselves, if they don't throw perfect touchdowns every time, they're not going to get a scholarship, and then they won't go to college, and then they're going to end up at Starbucks for the rest of their life. And this inner conversation that we have comes out like, you're lazy, you're not working hard enough. Ladies, it's not just men that can be critical, right? You can be critical, too. I've heard about it. My wife, personally, has never said anything critical in her life, but I've, I've heard some of you. It's terrible, terrible. Lisa was telling me about it the other day, just how terrible you guys are. Uh, no. But this idea that if there's, any, if there's any coming alongside, if there's any paraclesis, if there's anything where, where Christ has come alongside of you, any being uh, united with Christ, if there's any comfort from his love, in other words, if you're getting anything, then make my joy complete. And here's what he says. Then make my joy complete by being like-minded. Having the same love. Being one in spirit and of mind. You know what that means? That means when I begin to talk to you, or I begin to look, I look at you like I would want you to look at me. I talk to you Like, I would want you to talk to me. I notice things about you that I would like you to notice about me. Now, again, imagine if your family unit at dinner time is spent finding great things about each other and sharing them. Imagine if the ratio was switched, because you do have to have criticism. Not all criticism is bad. I mean, I mean, the Bible talks all about kind of like going to somebody and saying, hey, dude, I think you're blowing it in this area. It's like, well, that wasn't very encouraging. Sometimes it's the criticism that actually brings the person back around. So it's not that there shouldn't be any of that. What Paul's saying here is, look, if if God is doing anything in your life, what would be icing on the cake as a church is if we had the same mind, if we thought, you know what, I'm going to make sure so-and-so is honored, so-and-so is respected. He goes on. He says this. Do nothing... Out of selfish ambition, this is what Bob talked about last week, or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking at your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. We're going to have some time um, in the service to do this, but I'd, I'd like you all to turn your cell phones on actually right now. So that we can get through all the noise of them going, you know, or whatever they do, and we'll get all that out. But if you have a cell phone, go ahead and turn it on, because uh, we're going to have a little exercise later, but you can, you can go ahead and do that. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you looking to the interests of others. Let me tell you what happened in my heart during that soccer game that will make you uh, scream and run out of the room uh, and think, wow, they let anybody be a pastor. So we're losing 4-0. And then right after that, it was 5-0. And then it became 6. Did I tell you we lost 7-0? to zero? Okay. At 7-0, to zero, one of the kids from the other team turned to uh, the ref that was right in front of me. And he said, hey, what's the score? And I just about climbed over the ref, ran onto the field, and strangled the kid. Like... What's the score? Like a thousand to zero. Does it matter at this point? It's like so, so high. So here's, here's the thought that came to my mind. This is that inner, inner conversation. I thought, 
these parents are going to think I'm the worst coach in the world. They're going to think, they're going to think, what in the world? Why did we, what? we could have had no coach and done better than this, okay? Now, you know what that is? That is looking after my own interests and not the interests of others. That's what it looks like. And it was very, very, very difficult for me to encourage. We got done with the game, and I'm like, well, that was a game. I mean, I had nothing because I was worried about myself. And we fall into this constantly. We have to be reminded over and over and over and over again. You might want to just, in your cubicle, Put a five colon one in there just to keep reminding you, okay, it's just not intuitive. Even when you're doing well, something's going to come up where you think, well, if I tell her that, and then, then she might just never do that again. If I do this, then that, those inner conversations are the things we want. Now watch. This is so cool because we're going to get to a good point here. In John chapter 14, verse 16, Jesus gives us a promise. It's really cool, okay? He says this. I will ask the Father. I want you to see in this verse, we're ta- we, we see the Trinity manifested in this section of Scripture. Jesus says, I will ask the Father. I, Jesus' Son, will ask the Father, and He will give you another helper. Do you know what that word helper is in Greek? It's paraclete, an encourager, one that's going to come alongside, someone who's going to be there for you, someone who's going to say, hey, 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 I understand. I I understand your point of view. Everything's going to be okay. You were created for a purpose. I've given you gifts to be used for the kingdom. I don't care about that. Don't worry about what other people think. Worry about what your heavenly father thinks. Yeah, you've been bought with a price. You're valuable. See, God, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you have access to the capital E encourager whenever you want. You know what all he wants out of that? Is that if you have been encouraged by the Holy Spirit, if you've been encouraged by him, listen to what it says. That that is the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it does not see him or know him. But you know him because he abides with you. He's there with you, listen, and will be in you. You know what this means? The Holy Spirit is the one that guides that inner conversation. The Holy Spirit is the one which the Holy Spirit did when I was thinking these parents are going to think I'm the worst coach in the world. The Holy Spirit was the one that said, is that why you're coaching? For what the parents think? Come on, man. Let's go. Encourage those little kids. That gave me a whole new insight into some of these kids. I found encouragement in stuff that's just hard to find encouragement in. Because I did it on my own? Absolutely not. Because I had a helper, a paraclete, an encourager, one that came alongside and said, hey, from that source, I want you to encourage others. Let me give you, let me give you four things real quick. You can encourage people for who they are. And this is why I had you get your cell phones on. I would like everybody with a cell phone, before they leave this campus, to 
give three encouraging texts to somebody. Anybody. It could be your husband. It could be your wife. It could be the person sitting next to you. It could be whatever. Three encouraging texts, preferably with people you don't often encourage, okay? Out of the blue, like, like maybe somebody from, maybe like, a, like your mom. You haven't talked to your mom for like two months, and you just say, okay? You can encourage them for who they are. Just the fact that, man, I, you know, I just, I just love your joyful spirit. Just kind of, I love the fact that this is who you are, okay? You can encourage them for what they do. You might have your teacher's number and just say, hey, thanks for being a great teacher. You might have somebody who, who does something for you or with you or whatever. What's the matter? Okay. Yeah. yeah, there's lots of noises going on. That's okay. That's okay. It's called silent mode, but it's all right. You'll, you'll find out later. All right. Okay. All right. For what, you, for what they do. Maybe it's your wife. She f- f- cleans up the house. Maybe it's your, you know, your husband. Maybe, maybe he works really hard. Maybe he works a lot of overtime, and it's just like, hey, I really, wanna, I really appreciate what you do there. Okay, maybe it's your kids. You know, maybe, maybe your kid's funny, you know, and you just go, you know what? I just, you just make me laugh. Thanks for doing that. I just love the way you make me laugh. Okay? Encourage them for who they can become. Maybe something you see in somebody. Somebody you see and you go, you know what? That, that person... They're going to become something great. These words of what they can become are so healing and so powerful that you can actually change the course of a person's life through this one. Hey, I see this in you. You're a leader. I see this in you. You have a really soft heart for people. It's so admirable. And you know what? You could, become, you could become a great leader. You could become someone who makes a really big difference in people's lives. And then fourthly, for who they are in Christ. You know, just being able to talk to somebody and say, you know what, God, do you know that in, before you were created in your mother's womb, God knew your name, God knew everything about you, and he, cre- he chose to create you. That's who they are in Christ. As the worship band comes back up, This stuff is not new. It's not hard to understand. But for some reason, it's hard to do and it's hard to sustain. It's hard to keep going on and on and on. And some couples, we're the worst sometimes because we just take our spouse for granted. And so, so they know we love them so we can be critical. But God has put us in this unique situation of being the church, of being family, of being all this, where we can literally change the course of each other's lives and finding encouraging things to say. 